0: This is Manal Sharif from Sydney and
1: Reinhard Sosen from Sydney as well in (laughs) Tech for Evil headquarters.
0: (laughs) This is season three of Tech for Evil and we chose the name Don't Click Here, how human rights activists use technology to fight tyrants and how tyrants use technology to fight back. Stay with us today, our episode is Flash Drives for Freedom. How can flash drives are used to free north koreans our guest for, th- for this episode is song Min.
1: so if you're like me and you have a drawer in your house full of usb sticks and you don't even remember what's on them and you're kind of holding on to them thinking well maybe there's a good use for them manal and i have just the best thing you can do with these old usb sticks stay tuned today we're going to be talking to xiaomi lee and we're going to be bringing up yomi park and looking at this dark country on planet earth called north korea and how your usb drive your old usb drive could be used to shine a light into the lives of some of the people that live on the darkest country on the planet north korea stay tuned let me tell you why you're here you're here because you know something what you know you can't explain but you feel it you've been living in a dream world neo a prison for your
0: mind. Salam everyone. My name is Manal sharif I'm a cybersecurity expert, and I worked my whole career to protect people's data from hackers, the bad guys. I'm also a women's rights activist. I use social media successfully to start the Women to Drive movement back home in Saudi Arabia.
1: And I'm Reinhard Sosen. As a teacher, I saw how tech could light up a classroom, but there was a dark side that I've recently discovered. My friend Manal and I are on a podcasting journey to investigate the evils of big tech, educate people around the world, and inspire netizens just like you, young and old, towards a better digital future.
0: Hi, everyone. This is the episode about one of the darkest country on planet Earth, a country where there's no internet freedom, there's no free access, to information, a country that is ranked one of the last countries on the Global Freedom Index by Freedom House. We have our guest today, one of the Human Rights Foundation and Min Lee, hopefully I'm pronouncing your name right. He's the director of Korea Desk and Programs at Human Rights Foundation. And he's also the program lead for flash drives for freedom. Something was very interesting. Me and Ryan, we
2: saw when
0: we were at also yes, freedom uh, forum.
2: Hello. Yeah, hello. Hi, um, hi, man. Uh, Thank you. Thank you for having me. Yes, I'm Song Min Lee, and I'm the director of Korea Disc and Human Rights Foundation. Before starting, uh, you not know, talking about our programs, let me. Would it be okay to talk about, a little bit about my organization? Yes, please. Can you tell us more
0: about you, who you are, and uh-huh. when did you join Human Rights Foundation and became the director of Korea, the and programs?
2: Of course, yeah. Human Rights Foundation is, we are actually a non-partisan and non-profit organization that promotes protects human rights worldwide. We have to focus on to the societies such so China, Russia, North Korea, and Belarus, and more. So... I was originally born and grew up in North Korea, but I was uh, lucky to get out when I was 24. So there are a number of programs HRF actually operating worldwide to achieve its mission. Again, this is uh, to preserve and promote human rights worldwide. Our Korea program-wise, in terms of our Korea program, we do have a program called Flash Drives for Freedom. This is in you know, world, a world winning program and initiative organized by Human rights Foundation and to get the external information into North Korea, uh, we do this work in partnership with organizations, mostly based here in South Korea. So as related to Human rights Foundation work also to certain extent is my it is very personal to me because as a you know someone who was born there and having lived through there, in the land uh, without any alternative source of information so yeah so this is uh, I know one of the programs we are working on currently and I'm happy to talk about in other areas we work on as well. This is amazing so Songmin, are you talking to us from
0: South Korea now?
2: Yes that's correct I'm currently based in South Korea.
0: And you mentioned that you're from North Korea Mm -hmm. and when did you leave North Korea?
2: I left North Korea late 2009, and I came to South Korea in 2010. How did you leave North Korea? Well, yeah, leaving North Korea is not something like, you know, you leave to any country in the rest of the world. You know, you simply get a passport and get a visa, et cetera. But in the case of North Korea, it's different, because the North Korean government doesn't allow its citizens to leave the country without the permission. So basically, most of the North Koreans, unless you have specifically authorized the permission, they never get the chance, never get to see the world for the entire of their life. So most North Koreans, like myself, when you leave the country, we have to escape. That is the only viable option. So I had to escape through the border, across the river, separating North Korea and China. And, you know, as you know, the Chinese government doesn't accept North Koreans as refugees. So basically, I had to go through, secretly travel across the Chinese mainland and to cross the border into another Southeastern country to ask for political asylum so basically for israel refugee, right so that's how I was yeah, able to leave the country
0: you mentioned that you crossed a river from mm-hmm. North Korea to mainline China mm-hmm. how many days was your escape journey all the way until you were allowed you were able to apply for asylum seek mm-hmm. for asylum
2: so I think political the- asylum yeah. Yes, it took overall, and it was for me. It was about a two months. It was a relatively really shorter time compared to other North Korean defectors. I, I do have a number of fellow uh, defectors currently living here in South Korea. A lot of them actually took something like a number of years, up to sometimes like a ten years, to get here, South Korea. But in the case of that, when I was crossing the border, I was lucky in a sense In that, I I lived in a border city just right next to China. So when I was living in North Korea, I also did a little bit cross-border business in cooperation with North Korean border guards, bringing you know, commodities like cooking oil, cigarettes, candies, and rice, etc., to North Korea to sell them in North Korean markets and with added margin and things like that. So when I was leaving the country, I had friends in North Korean border base, border guards, So they were able to help me out crossing the border. So, But of course, this is not a common case. Uh, Crossing the border is extremely risky.
1: Song Min, that sounds like you had a really harrowing escape from North Korea. Some of the people that listen to our podcast may not be fully aware of what's happening there inside the country. Mm -hmm. Seeing as you have firsthand experience and knowledge, can you tell our listeners a little bit about North Korea North Korea, the regime and the people. What, what what's life like there and why did you why did you feel you had to escape?
2: Hmm. Yeah, so it's a little bit about the context. Let me give your listeners a little bit of a context of North Korea. So this country has been ruled by a single hereditary based dynastic and oppressive dictatorship that has been in power since nineteen forty-eight. And it is countries known to have no single free or, uh, you know, fair elections, opposition parties, or, or independent, independent media. So it's mostly the people, the country of 25 million population is uh, isolated, and uh, disconnected from the rest of the world. And when you're born, like almost every North Korean, when they're born in North Korean system, they are kind of receiving a very carefully created propaganda, education, uh, surrounded, of course, of personality. And uh, we came to believe uh, in the system, the North Korean leaders is almost infallible as a like godlike figure. And this is all the school systems and society organizing activities uh, surrounded around that personality, of personality. So, but I think that one of the most important turning points, personally, and as well as many, for many North Koreans, was 1990s, the famine. North Korea went through the Great Famine after around 1990, between 1995 and 1998 for three, four years. Of course, there was multiple reasons why that famine took place. It was after the collapse of the Soviet Union and also North Korea's ineffective economic policy and natural disaster. So all those things, uh, combined factors, uh, brought upon North Korea the devastating famine. So... Now the people at that point, starting that point, they began realizing there was something wrong in North Korean society. In North Korea, every North Korean citizen you know, learns that North Korea is the greatest socialist paradise on this planet, and North Korean leaders are the greatest leaders in the world. So, and we also learned that the rest of the old world has a really gloomy and dark and oppressive place, uh, North, why North Korea is the best place to live. But again, as that the, the system also began dysfunctioning in the aftermath of the famine, and we began, you know, receiving some informations trickling from other countries such as China and Russia, and we were shocked. We were shocked because, you know, saw the movies, for instance, produced in South Korea, and they were portraying the life, the people, you know, in South Korea, like normal everyday citizens' lives. But that kind of things was completely unimaginable for us because in school system and throughout the North Korean society, we are taught to believe that North Korea is uh, South Korea, excuse me, South Korea is gloomy and dark and you know with the hungry people and homeless people, etc. But the things we saw in, in, through those contents were completely different reality. So. I think that, you know, these and other related factors, many people decided to cross the border. Of course, some of them crossed the border for food, and others are crossed the border for freedom. But yeah, that's where we are now. So today, there are over 34,000 North Koreans, formerly, officially resettled uh, here in South Korea. But again, that really is not easy. A lot of people... Get caught in the middle of this story and repatriated back to North Korea and face a heavy punishment. Unfortunately,
1: mm. So Song Min. It sounds like there's a great cloud hanging over North Korea and a big lie that's being told and perpetuated by the government. You mentioned in your story that you were able in the beginning phases after that famine to see information trickling through from other countries, mm-hmm. and what was how was some of that. Information coming through was it on the radio, television, newspapers? How was that that little bit of information that North Koreans were getting? How was that happening?
2: Yes, there are there could be multiple sources of you know the channels through which that those informations come through. One is a short wave radio. The people inside North Korea do have you know that unauthorized possession of short wave radios.
1: So it's illegal to have short wave
2: radios. It's not legal. Uh, wow, yeah, it's okay. not legal. So uh, anyone is identified with a kind of a you know, mini-unfixed you know, radio device could be really in serious trouble.
1: Um, shortwave radios are something we take for granted here, mm-hmm. and uh, anyone can pretty much uh, own one. So yeah, that's quite, that's quite a big difference. Besides shortwave radio, what was another way that people got information?
2: So people also were able to access information through DVDs and CDs, so a lot of
1: those... So movies and music? Uh,
2: yes, and movies and music and also especially content produced in South Korea was popular. The reason is because, you know, North Korea and South Korea they speak the same language and share the same culture. So, you know, from historical perspective, so they were able to better understand the content and relate to that. So a lot of those contents actually have being smuggled by, of course, smugglers and also traders the business people are you know coming from china oh yes yes there was some of those sources yeah
0: so So, information is smuggled so people smuggle drugs other countries but in north korea information is smuggled can you explain to us what type of information is like the news movies music what type of information people smuggle to north korea
2: yeah yes so it's a uh, it's a really, it could be really broad. The, the reason is because, you know, to understand this one, I think this question, I think we need to take a look at a little broader landscape of North Korean, you know, the, uh, in our society. So when you go to North Korea today, it's essentially you see state-run, only state-run TV broadcast and state-run radio system, radio broadcast system. And there is some very limited uh, the intranet, of course, that is only allowed to the people, you know, internally who have access to, uh, have some access there. So all the information you see and watch and hear are state, are, you know, produced and approved content. As I already noted in my introduction, there is no independent, single independent independent media. So therefore, it's really any information, whether it's the market, exchange rate, or what's really happening in the rest of the world, South Korea and Japan and China. Because the, all the information you see through the newspapers media, Tightly controlled by North Korean regime, so there is any messages that goes against the interest of the regime, it doesn't get published there. So information like international news, what's going on, for instance, in Ukraine today, what's going, why that the world took place, for instance, the background stories, and also exchange rate, the economy, market prospects and also how defectors are currently living in South Korea. Also just simply showing that you know political campaigns, elections, presidential speech here in taking place in South Korea, all these kind of types of information are novel, and is very it could be really extremely interesting content for those Koreans to educate themselves and to learn about the outside world.
0: Can I ask what was the first piece of information that was smuggled that you were exposed to? Hmm.
2: I watched a number of Korean uh, movies I mean, I was in high school in North Korea. I was a student then back then. And there was a the movie that was actually a seri- serialized drama and called Winter Sonata. Uh, there was a really, back then, was a super popular drama here in South Korea. And then there was a, a into North Korea by through someone. I had no idea back then. But when I watched that drama, I was... How can I discover at the moment? I was just in disbelief. The reason because, you know, in North Korea, we learn a great deal about South Korea, you know, country as a poor country and rampant by American imperialists and trampled by them and hungry, full of hungry people, etc. And also we are taught to believe that we need to unify and bring those poor people to the bosom of, of, of the leader, Kim Jong-il. Back then, he was alive. And so that was the there is such a limited understanding about South Korea, but when I watched that drama, I was really shocked. And and in the movie, you see, you know, high sky, number of high skyscrapers, and people sipping coffee at a coffee shop, and the dressed by people, and also you know, full of electric lights and full of cars in the street. All the things I, I, we had never been told to you know to uh, learn about, to know about, and so uh, must you have know,
1: like it, a different world.
2: Yeah, it was like a completely it's kind of alternative reality. Different mm. universe was a, I was seeing there. So, yeah. So, Song Min, why mm-hmm.
0: didn't you think, two things, what would happen to you if you were caught watching it? And the second thing, why didn't you think at that time it's just a propaganda from South Korea? Why did you trust that thing is real? It's not just acting. Mm.
2: Yeah, so I think that in a number of years of you know brainwashing to which I was a subject, of course, that I, you know I when I saw it I didn't immediately you know believe it and I first my you know psychological reaction was like I was I just was so confused and then I was also I also thought about whether this you know content was produced by enemy country South Korea to destroy social system or, or to corrupt the minds of North Koreans as the government has always said to us um but you know, it's like, uh, it was very scared to watch it, you know, to be honest. And but also you have a, you know, a big in the mind, you have a curiosity, what kind of world they actually they want to present, whether they're pro- propaganda or not. So, and as you're watching through it, I was incredibly, you know, it was into that content. The reason is because when you watch South Korean drama, they do not necessarily, you know, presented or purify the image or the image. It's not, there is a, they're describing, the content was describing, uh, everyday life, uh, everyday life of every citizens. there is a love and breakup and there is a sad story and there is issues with political system in South Korea, all things like that. They're presenting it not necessarily, you know, in a way that they look down to North Korean system while they're giving, you know, the better image to each society. It's not. So in a lot of aspects, I could relate to. So that's how, yeah, it was a starting point.
1: Songmin, I'm hearing in your voice a real despair that's inside North Korea, cloud of a lie. And when this little bit of an information from the outside world, this, this, what was it called? The program, winter, something winter? Winter Sonata. Winter Sonata. When this program, Winter Sonata, when you saw it and it lit up your world, this, this had a big impact on you. And I imagine for many other people in North Korea as well, who have Mm. been fortunate enough to escape. You have what I think is probably one of the most interesting and intriguing jobs on the face of the planet because you get to be the program lead for something called Flash Drives for Freedom. Mm-hmm. And if you don't mind, let's, let's change pace a little bit and talk about your role with Flash Drives for Freedom now that we've set up a bit of context for our listeners about what it's like in North Korea, how you escaped the terrible regime that's there and the important role that information plays, smuggling information inside to North Korea, the the important role that that plays for freeing the minds of some of the most, one of the most darkest countries on the planet. Can you tell us, To me, it sounds almost like a James Bond episode where I can send my USB flash stick to some post office box in New York Mm -hmm. and that address in New York can take my USB stick and actually affect change in a country on the other side of the planet. When Manal and I were talking, we thought we have to ask you who came up with this idea? How did it start? And Tell us a little bit more about how you became to be involved in flash drives for freedom.
2: Yes, the flash drives for freedom program is, is a really iconic and also important program of for Human Rights Foundations, the Korea program. We the Human Rights Foundation has a history, long history empowering North Korean defectors, activists, and CSOs, civil society organizations, to bring about this change in North Korea. Um, really the world of the most across the ISO society. So before I joined the program, the organization, the organization uh, leadership recognized early on the importance of increasing information access in North Korea. They, for instance, organized the world's first North Korean hackathon in 2014 and bringing more information to North Korea by connecting, for instance, activists to be Silicon Valley-based technologists. And the outcome of that event, outcome of this conference was this flash drives for freedom program. So next year, there was a 2000, uh, excuse me, there was a 2016. This program was officially launched. And since then, yeah, it, the program you know, has been working and we're still working with defector organizations and activists in Korea. And we have been sending over now, since the program was launched, we have sent uh, over 130,000 flash drives to North Korea. The contents, you know, we are including the contents of the Korean Wikipedias, documentaries, and the general knowledge, and also information on entrepreneurship and the depicted life here in South Korea as well. So, yeah, so program has been extremely impactful. We you know, hear that feedback of, of consumers, you know, if we describe North Korea as consumers, essentially, in a sense. We hear these voices and feedback to the activists, and they require and ask for a certain type of information. And there is a feedback system between activists and the North Koreans inside North Korea. So we continue, yeah, curating, identifying those wow. informations in collaboration with the factors.
1: That's extraordinary so yeah. let's connect the dots a little bit for our listeners. We have you and your program flash drives for freedom people can send their us their old USB sticks to this address in New York and then you can upload really helpful information that you can smuggle yeah. inside North Korea and some part of me song min has to ask why why do why do you have to go to such extraordinary lengths to get information inside North Korea. So let me ask you a question, mm. Sung-min. If I was inside North Korea right now and I wanted to send an email, would I be able to do that and what would it look like?
2: Mm. So. Yeah, it's a really it would be wonderful if you are uh, you know are able to send the email to someone inside North Korea directly. I'm in my understanding there are some formal channels to do that. For instance, the North Korean diplomat presence in United Nations in New York, and also some government operating government non-trading agencies have email address. But that sounds on-
1: controlled by the government.
2: Absolutely. When they send the message, usually that doesn't get to the recipient directly, but security agencies are tightly control and read. So, if you're talking about the average citizens sending any you know, communication message to average individuals, no way, none. Right. So yeah, let's try no something.
1: Let, let's mm-hmm. try something easier. How about a text message? Would I be able to send a text message if mm-hmm. I was in North Korea right now? Would I be able to send a text message outside to a, a relative in South Korea, for example?
2: If you're talking about that, North Korea sanctioned the cell phones, domestic mobile phone system. There is no, there is no way to send information or text message to anywhere outside North Korea. Having said that, there is a very small number of activists. Usually we might call it underground, either underground citizen reporters or defector families. They're living along the border with China. Uh, they are using that uh, Chinese cell phone. Of course, that is illegal. If you are caught with those cell phones, you will face a heavy punishment. So those are individuals, very small number of individuals. They keep it secretly. But of course, you cannot just turn on the cell phone 24-7 because that regime uses uh, detection, radio detection devices, etc. So they tend to turn off within five minutes, or sometimes like two, three minutes after just communicating very essential message only. So that's very a very small channel tiny hole we can only have to communicate with north korea
1: so sending an email is restricted to only the elite people to try and send a text message it sounds it's Mm -hmm. it's it's very risky and Mm -hmm. only available to some very brave people what about if i wanted to see a website if i was in north korea today would i be able to turn on my laptop and see a website
2: Unfortunately, no. For the average citizen, there is no way to connect it in you know, the internet, and it's safe to assume that if you ask every North Korean, they would have no idea whatsoever what Google is, what Facebook or Twitter is. They have no idea whatsoever because they never heard about it. Based on some other scholarly analysis, I saw that a few state-run institutions they do have internet connection for academic research purposes only. But I heard about that even those institutions, you know, individuals individual steps in those institutions cannot access that system, you know, freely. You have to report it, you have to get a permission, and you have to identify what kind of search word you're going to using. And so, you know, searching for other, you know, the phrases and other topics is extremely dangerous in North Korea
1: so technology that we here in australia take for granted like email texting phone calls the internet these things are not in north korea there's a total blackout in north korea of information and it's it sounds like these people are imprisoned in their own homeland you know uh, while we were researching this Song Manal and I went to the freedomhouse.org webpage and Manal was having a look inside that webpage just to see a few different scores. This is obviously an organization that, that ranks countries in various ways across different dimensions. There's a democracy score, global freedom score. And Manal told me, hey, Reinhardt, click on the internet freedom score and see if you can see anything funny about that. And when I clicked on it, we look. We went down the list and we can't even see North Korea anywhere on the list for the internet freedom score. Mm. And we're guessing that's because the internet doesn't really even exist in North Korea. So thanks for asking, answering those questions of mine. I, I obviously knew the answers, but I wanted people to hear from you and your voice about just how much of a blackout there is inside North Korea for the people there, the average everyday citizens, not being able yeah. to send an email, text, I, or look and at And if I online.
0: can add, it's funny, because if you look at the Global Freedom Scores, and again, it's on freedomhouse.org, North Korea is in the total score from 100 on Global Freedom Score, They score three. Mm-hmm. Countries that on the same level are Eritrea, Eastern Donbass, Less than that, which is Turkmenistan, South Sudan, Syria, and Tibet. Saudi Arabia scores eight. That's mm-hmm. my country. I'm thankful I live in Australia. Australia scores 95 out of 100 on the global freedom score. So it is, I think people living in democracies cannot even understand or comprehend when you live under censorship. The problem in Saudi Arabia, we have free internet people have access to internet so it's not it's not censored by the government we can w- when i was in saudi arabia i could use social media i could use the internet i could access anything i want i could use vpn the problem is when saudi arabia create the infor- now that we don't have information bubble we have echo chamber in saudi arabia and echo chamber means that even when we read information coming from other countries we don't believe it we don't trust them they are the enemy They are conspiring to bring down the haters. They only want our oil. And that's why we don't believe it. So we live in an echo chamber where we don't trust information coming from outside. And I think it's important for people to understand that even countries with access to free access to information, like Saudi Arabia, people still live in a way where they self censor, they read something and they disbelieve it. So it's interesting because you have to problems. The one the first problem overcoming the censorship in North Korea. And the second problem is will people believe what they read and see? What do you think? Salomin?
2: Yeah, I think that's a really you know great question. And I think that of course there there are a lot, you know, control state controls exist de degrees and number of countries around the world today. But you know based on number of the scholarly researches, and also based on my experiences as well, it's really the like you know, complete restrictions we see in North Korea is really, it's harder to find anywhere in, in the world today. But in terms of the the information, how to you know that you know what would be the you a know, people's reaction? You talked about echo chamber effect, and when people are seeing the same message and you know reflecting back to each other, they tend to be, tend to be a little bit more. So I think that that is also applicable in North Korean society as well. The reason is because as I already noted that. In North Korea, so from the moment you are born, essentially you are subject to the brainwashing, so every each North Korean household has the leader's portrait in their household, and when you go to kindergarten, you are singing the you know glorifying the songs glorifying the Kim family, and also learning those propaganda materials throughout your education in North Korea. So, and without alternative sources of information. It's like people, are, you know, kind of they're desensitized to. It's sometimes like they could, you know, harder to accept it. For instance, when I was living there, you know, when we see the public executions, sometimes students teachers would organize the whole classroom uh, to guide them through, guide us to our public execution site. We see some people publicly executed without even trials. But that was a really hard to accept, hard to believe it, you know, things happening in, in the so-called the world is the best paradise country. But as we, you know, tend to see more and more often, it's kind of desensitized to seeing that kind of, at certain point, you begin to accept as a kind of, you know, as a part of your normal life. So it's the information is the same. As you, you know, constantly consume, Subject to that kind of state manipulated propaganda, it's really sometimes it's a question when you see, you know, that cultural materials that are describing South Korea as a, you know, thriving driving society, and also, you know, you know life is really you know comfort, and also people are uh, you know abundant electricity, all kind of things we never heard about. So we, that's why a lot of people are not to believe it, but again, I think that that's the the reason. Why, you know, programs such as Flash Drives for Freedom and similar work by non-profit organizations and activists, those trying to send information to North Korea, is such important. So important it's important because as more North Koreans have, you know, alternate sources of information, there will be a greater chance for them to think about their society, the society they live in, in relation to the outside world. So. Yeah, so there's a lot of, you know, the, the aspects to think about, but again, that it's really hard. In North Korea, the question is really, it's really one of the most difficult topics and challenges to address because of the complete isolation, comp- nearly complete state control. But yeah, the efforts like this through, you know, USB drives, we are sending, and also, you know, radio broadcast systems through which activists trying to send the message, and also, I'm aware that some organizations efforts trying to contact the North Korean the North Korean workers dispatched abroad to make the money for the regime. They're basically slave labor workers. So there are some multiple efforts going on. But of course, this is a challenging issue to address.
0: This is Manal Al-Sharif and Reinhard Sosin from Tick for Evil podcast. Our guest for the day is Song Min Lee, the director for Flash Drives for Freedom from Human Rights Foundation. We'll see you after the break. Wired Magazine called it, it's literally a key that will unlock a new world for North Koreans. We're here in the studio with our guest of the day, Song Min Lee from North Korea. And he's the director of Flash Drives for Freedom from Human Rights Foundation. I have with me Reinhard Sausen too.
1: Thank you, Mia. And I have a pencil case full of old USB flash drives here that I'm definitely going to be sending in to Flash Drives for Freedom. It's a you have to check them
0: first. Don't I, have have to, I with will your...
1: definitely, I will definitely <laughs> <With> format, <shorts. laughs> definitely format all my all my USB drives before sending them in. Thanks for the tip, Mia. And Thank
2: you for your support, and I'll send you yeah, the information on how to get involved. And
1: one thing I wanted to read was directly from your website, Songmin. It's it says the North Korean government strictly prohibits access to foreign information and media. And individuals found in possession of this material do face severe punishment. However, access to foreign information in North Korea has grown significantly in the last 20 years. And I'm guessing that's got a lot to do with flash drives for freedom as well. And it is a valued and coveted commodity. In addition, Human Rights Foundation believes that access to information is a fundamental right, not a privilege. One thing that I wanted to ask you based on that, given that the information inside North Korea is growing and the light on the outside world is starting to be shone, would you say that you are slowly helping to win the battle for information inside North Korea?
2: Yes, uh, that's a really good question. I do believe that the program that the Flesh Drives for Freedom specifically. The, the impact it has created on the ground for helping North Koreans understand the world has been really helpful. Has been impactful, and we, as I, you know, already noted that we have delivered over one hundred thirty thousand flash drives as of now. And by some indication, we did actually some field research with our field partners to measure how each drive actually, you know, how many people actually get to see you know, it's certain uh, content uh, you know, per drive. So based on their estimates, one drive reaches uh, 10 North Koreans on average. because once they send the flash drive to individual in North Korea, that person you know, shares that drive with his siblings, with his mom and his relatives. So that is how that number of 10 came about. So... We have, you know, that of course there is some challenges to measure how many people actually get to the content throughout the program. The reason is because in North Korea it's not kind of in you know, an environment where we conduct a survey publicly, let alone even asking, you know, people whether they want or not, because it's very dangerous. But we do know that in 2000, in recent years, 2018, that the North Korean dictator, the Kim Jong un, called those uh, information content coming from outside the country as a uh, quote-unquote vicious cancer, uh, corrupting the minds of North Korean young people. So we have seen the multiple the reactions on the part of the North Korean regime. They enacted a law, so-called anti-reactionary thought law. Essentially, what they are trying to do is that to crush all the you know, external information the people uh, get to access. They call it, you know, anti-socialist behavior, unsocialist, like the behavior, the hair color, or even wearing jeans. There are multiple categories they are talking about. So yes, it's uh, the regime is reacting to that. But so wearing is, uh,
1: jeans and coloring uh, your hair for a North yeah. Korean is actually is now an illegal anti-social behavior. Is it?
2: Mm-hmm. so wow. yeah it's it could be anything really it, in jeans is a symbol of uh, uh, american you know americans right so yes uh, that reason is they're prohibited and you know dying hair color for instance is a slight of yellow or brown or even like in you know students school kids have a little longer hair like kind of similar hair style you see in south korea like a k-pop you see you know that BTS, like singles, those, in a you know, hairstyles. So the people trying to emulate it, kids trying to emulate it because they watched such a content in North Korea. So the regime now is, in you know, attempts, attempting, you know, trying to, to prevent it, but that is by uh, uh, in, in estimate that uh, regimes are the regime is doing, you know, late better. It's too late to control this situation.
1: So even though they've tried everything in their power to limit information coming in, they cannot stop the wave. We had a technical question for you, Song Min. Mia was asking me earlier, do you expect that there might be some prohibitions on USB ports on laptops or computers? Is everyone that has a computer able to use their USB port freely in North Korea? Or are there... Some sort of blocks that the government has put in place, some sort of technical lock on the USB ports.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a good question. As of now, we do not, we haven't seen any any attempt to block out the USB, uh, you know, that the outlets in particular. But we have seen that the regime has allowed, us, you know, the use of laptops and computers in some limited numbers, limited capacity in North Korea, for instance public institutions and academic institutions in our government the regime has encouraged to use those systems. But interestingly, the North Korean the, the operating systems that is not normally the kind of systems we are seeing here like the Mac or Windows, we normally are in operate or other the programs, they actually have developed their own version, like a Red Star or also any computers and devices, either cell phone or computer laptop, tablet they all have to be registered with government, with the government in charge of that, those devices. So they are just like when they go to the institution, for instance, they'll check the brand of that device and then they disable. And uh, no, excuse me, let me put it that again. They update the program, the indigenous stability program, which, of course, doesn't accept the unauthorized app installation and, you know, the content to play. However, there are a very small number of, there has been now a small number of people who are actually illegally purchasing the laptops, like, you know, second-hand devices smuggled uh, from China. So, they are able to, uh, yeah, so, you know, use USB drives and, and you know, to access content. But, but in terms of, I think that we need to a little bit differentiate whether they are, you know, criminalizing the use of USB devices or, you know, versus the contents, the types of contents loaded on USB devices. So, in terms of USB devices, it is not illegal because, that, for instance, the state-sanctioned laptops they're still using USB devices, right? But the content is illegal. So, I think that that's why I think North Koreans they really are, you know, sensitive and they prefer to have the smaller memory devices over the bigger devices such as a CD or like, you know, uh, all the hard drive memory devices because it's easier to hide. And sometimes they get stopped by police on the street and the police demand to see that what kind of content on the drive. So yeah, so that kind of thing is like a catch and mouse going on.
0: amazing that, yeah. (laughs) Reinhard, we don't even use USB drives or CDs or DVDs anymore here in Australia. Really. Everything is streaming and on the cloud. So, I mean, interesting thing. Living in a democracy, we see, for example, here in Australia, a few companies own the media, and it's like a monopoly. And they control exactly what's important. They, the editor in chief, they are the one who control what the masses will have to know or what's important based on these two companies, exactly two companies in Australia that kill, bought and killed local news agencies and local newspapers. And the other thing is, it's just amazing how the avalanche with information we get from social media today and from the internet desensitize people to look for the truth. So they look for the easy way. They listen to this news channel or they read this newspaper, they will always read this newspaper. There's, it's, it's just so, so funny because we are on the other extreme, which we have free access to information, but this information is controlled by two monopolies and they're the one. So it takes an effort for us to go and look for independent media and to go and look for the truth. Not everyone is willing to do that, unfortunately. And we're facing this now in Australia with the voice, with two campaigns, the no and yes, for the rights for Aborigines to have a voice in the constitution. What do you think living in a democracy with free access to information, does this change how people know their rights, know their freedoms, or it makes people just it's overwhelmed with the amount of information we have access to. And this is the other opposite of the extreme case of North Korea. So now mm-hmm. you're living in a democracy. How do you have access to information that you can rely on, and it's, you know, it's not biased, and it's not propaganda, and it's true? Mm-hmm. Now you have this freedom. What are you doing with it? Mm -hmm.
2: Yeah, it's a really tough question to answer. I think that uh, that is one of the most uh, difficult challenges we are facing as a a citizen living in a democratic society. And we are talking about that, you know, attention deficiency increasingly in digitized world. As you noted that there are so many number of sources of information uh, trying to get our attention, basically. So I was actually, you know, I also studied my, I also finished my study in America and while living in America, I was also surprised as well. So for instance, in America, you see, you know, the, those, you know, people who are in the conservative spectrum, they tend to see the fox News, right? So, whereas the people who are in the liberal and progressive category or tend to, you know, listen to, the con- watching the content on CNN, so, and etc. cetera. So... I also noticed that people are, you know, they tend to, they choose what kind of content to consume and what kind of influence they believe in. So I think that it seems there is, you know, some little bit of, of, you know, the concerning aspect in terms of those, you know, multiple sources talking about in different, you know, assets of, of a single issue. And how, and how, you know, do you believe, how can you believe that which one is true? And you know which one is you know is an objective evaluation. So I think that that's something I'm still struggling with as someone who was born and grew up in North Korea. I'm honestly, it's really you know still overwhelmed. It's still I'm in the process of dealing with in this in you know, a modern, digitalized world. So yeah, so you know it's kind of you know while trying to you know deal with this kind of reality I'm living in, I'm also thankful. The reason is because. You know, we need to see the situations, the social and political issues taking places, and at least we do have here in democratic societies have opportunities and have resources, and basically it's done by your choice. It's not by the state, you know, blocking you out from accessing those informations. Though you know, to certain degree there is some controls in other societies, but by and large you are basically living in an open society, so. In that regard, I think that this is the freedom you have and the freedom we cherish, I do believe. Because i thinking about the North Koreans. The North Koreans that, as I noted, that from the moment they're born and until they die, they never get to know any other voices besides that very carefully created North Korean regime's propaganda. They know a lot of people are dying. Their society is the best and all. Insufficient or uh, knowing nothing, nothing at all about the outside world. That kind of says you in know, a society are living in. It. So it's really, it's really hard. I sometimes think that you know, when North Korean uh, society, you know, it becomes open, more open, and North Koreans get to see all those, you know, alternative resources, information. It is also, you know, something to think about as a North Korean defector and as a international community you know how north Koreans would react to you know deal with those you know overwhelming sources of information so i think that's something i'm still you know you know still, i'm still struggling to understand you know, how we could deal with, it. but at least the the information sources you know civil society organizations such as HRF, are trying to provide is a place very positive role the reason is because we are trying to provide the alternative sources of information. For instance, when North Korean regime describes that Korean War. As the, something that was initiated by American imperialists and puppet South Korean governments, and North Korea was innocently uh, attacked, and they uh, they won their victorious Korean War, etc. That is their own propaganda. But in reality, we know that based on the you know information from the Soviet archives and other you know, former you know communist countries like East Germany, we you know that is not true. The war was actually initiated by North Korean dictator Kim Il Sung and they brought about a massive destruction to entire the Korean people. So that kind of information, you know, no objective based on truth and also based on the informations requested and selected by North Korean North Koreans themselves, I think, it's a, such an important. So I think when you are doing this kind of, you know, information curation and sending North Koreans, that's one of the reasons why we work with defector organizations, and that's the reason why we are not the one who selects the information, but North Koreans are themselves who select the information for themselves.
1: You've been listening to Tech for Evil. We've been chatting with Song Min Lee, who's in South Korea at the moment, and he is the lead the program lead for flash drives for freedom so in your answer there i heard a lot of gratitude for open and free societies that we have and while they may not be perfect they are at least full of resources and information that people can select and we need to be wise about selecting and choosing. And we do have a larger menu of options here in our country in Australia and obviously where you are in South Korea. We're very grateful to you for talking to us today. On another note, if you're listening to this podcast and you're thinking you'd love to get involved with Flash Drives for Freedom, the organization helping to smuggle your old, your old USB drive into North Korea with valuable, invaluable information to North Korean people, then you can do that by going to flashdrivesforfreedom.org and you can donate USB drives. And I see now also, Songmin, that you're accepting SD cards and micro SD cards of 16 gigabytes or more,
2: mm-hmm.
1: which is great. Send your USB stick to the address in new york and flash drives for freedom will take care of the rest song min lee it's been an absolute pleasure speaking with you and getting your insight on tech for evil with manal and i and we wish you all the best if there was a uh, a parting word you can leave for our audience about anything they can do or how to get involved or anything new coming up for Flash Drives for Freedom as an organization. Now's your time to say it.
2: Thank you, thank you, Mena, commenting that. Yes, for those who are interested in getting involved and learn about the program, a little more about the program, of course, you could visit the flashdrivesforfreedom.org. And also, we do have some information. So if you are interested in the organizing a drive collection program or campaign at your school, we have also instructions on how to create your campaign and make it successful. And also if you need any help of course like, please feel free to contact me anytime we have of course the all contact information displayed on our program website as well thank you so much they Thank also you, have something. some fantastic
1: merchandise. Actually, I'm just noticing they have some fantastic merchandise—t-shirts and posters as well—with your hilarious logo that I absolutely love. So that's another way that our listeners can support Flash Drives for Freedom. Go on, Manel.
0: Oh no, just cybersecurity. We tell people if you find a flash drive on the floor, do plug it in your computer. <laughs> so um, yes. this is the first time I'll tell my—I'll tell the audience that if
1: disclaimer. <laughs>
0: Disclaimer, if you find a flash drive, don't plug it in your computer unless you're North Korean, living in North Korea. <laughs> Thank you, everyone, and have a beautiful day.
1: Thanks, Songmin.